Good morning. Glad you guys are here today. I, uh, uh, before I jump into what I want to talk about this morning, I want to take a minute and uh, pray for uh, another church in our area. Uh, today is uh, the last day that the Next Level Church in Fort Myers will be portable, and uh, as we have been for our five-year existence, and the next Sunday, after almost nine years of existence, they are moving into their first uh, permanent facility. And so I just want to uh, pray for them. They're a few years ahead of us, and uh, I don't know that their story will be our story, but what they discovered in their journey was that when their attendance grew to about 750 and beyond on Sunday mornings, that's the point that meeting in portable and a high school uh, became more of an obstacle than a benefit. And so at that point, they began to uh, look for uh, land and a building, and they have found that. And uh, this church that now runs about 1,000 next Sunday will move into their first uh, permanent location. So let's just uh, pray for them as they do that and uh, honor God for how he's blessed them. God, I thank you for uh, the Next Level Church and their influence in their part of our community. And uh, God, we rejoice with them today. Um, Father, it will probably feel pretty good for them when they uh, load those cases on the trailer for the last time today. And they wind up cords for the last time. And God, I pray that you'd bless them as they celebrate that. But God, even more so, we would pray today that the blessings would continue to pour out on them. God, widen their influence. Uh, use them, God, in ever-increasing ways to increase your fame and to bring people who are far away from you back into relationship with you. God, I thank you for their uh, partnership in our community. I pray you'll bless Matt as he continues to lead them. And uh, God, will just bless them in every way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, we'll celebrate that with them. Uh, I also, just a quick word for you, uh, you've uh, heard us talking about this uh, Believe Conference con- concert uh, uh, coming up in April at Sunsplash. I'm really excited about that. Uh, the, the city has a big part in that, and so it's a pretty cool thing that they are uh, willing to have that kind of gathering, and it's been fun to watch some churches come together, and I just want to encourage you to be there, uh, bring your lawn chairs, be part of that. I'm really excited that our band is going to kick that whole night off, so you'll want to be there right at 7. Uh, so that you uh, are there to uh, worship as our band uh, leads our community that night. It's going to be a cool thing. Well, we're in this series called The Incredible Christ, and we're working our way through the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews, uh, as much as any book in the Bible, lifts up and exalts Jesus. And as we're moving towards Easter, it just seems appropriate, doesn't it, that we'd really focus in on who Jesus Christ is. And so we're working our way. And as I encourage you the very first week, I hope that you will take uh, time uh, as we move towards Easter, to read this book of the Bible. And uh, there, there's so much more in this book than I have time to deal with in a few Sunday mornings. And so I want to encourage you to read it and to see all that is there and to just get this full and wonderful picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Kind of the, the focal point or the theme verse for this whole series is what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, that would be us, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Focus, concentrate on Jesus. And that's what we're doing as we try to move towards Easter by looking at some of these images of Jesus. In the first week, we were reminded of the supremacy of Jesus, that he reigns supreme over everything, that he is the highest authority. And you know what? In our lives, we once in a while need to be reminded of that majestic and wow factor about Jesus. Last week we were reminded of the susceptibility of Jesus and we need to be reminded and to know that Jesus understands our human struggles, that He understands our human feelings. And He can relate to us because during His time here on earth He was very much human. 
And today I want to look at a third image that is found in Hebrews chapter 6. And so I encourage you, if you brought your Bible, go ahead and begin finding your way to Hebrews uh, chapter 6. And, uh, but before we look at those words, for us to really understand and get the full value of what we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 6, we need a little history lesson from the book of Genesis. So let me give you a little history lesson. In Genesis chapter 12, God uh, comes and speaks to a man named Abraham. Now this happens... Uh, very early in the history of the world, very early in the history of man. And uh, this happens uh, not long after the story of Noah's Ark, where God destroys the whole world through a flood. And as the earth has begun to repopulate, God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, through your, through your descendants, I want to bless the whole earth through your offspring. <laughs> now, there was only one problem with that. Abraham was 75 years old and he had no offspring. And so he had some questions for God about that whole thing. God, uh, I'd like to know exactly how that's going to work. And uh, God, to reiterate his promise, actually has Abraham go out and look at the night sky and all the stars. And he says, as numerous as all the stars in the sky, that's the way it's going to be for your descendants. That's how numerous they will be. And so time passes and uh, God comes to Abraham again. And uh, even after all this time, there are, there are no offspring. In fact, 25 years pass, and Abraham has zero offspring. And so God comes again, and he makes this same promise through your descendants. I want to bless the whole earth. And you know how Abraham responds? He literally falls down laughing at God. God, I'm 99 years old. My wife Sarah's 90 years old. How's that going to happen? I mean, that wasn't normal for them at that time, okay? I don't even think anybody was using Viagra in those days. I mean, this idea had been 25 years since God had made this promise. And Abraham and Sarah find it laughable that God would continue this idea. But in Genesis 21, Sarah finds out she is pregnant. And at age 100, Abraham becomes the father of his first son, Isaac. And they throw a party of epic proportions to celebrate. Now, it has been 25 years years since God made this initial promise to them. That's hard for us to get our heads around, isn't it? Because in our culture, we expect everything to go fast. We, we want speed. We want things to happen right now. I mean, I get impatient if it takes seven seconds for something to load from the web. You know, we want things right now. But it seems, it seems that when it comes to God's promises of healing and wholeness, He moves slowly. Speed and now are not part of His plan. Because there is something that happens. Something good that happens when we have to wait on God. And the next time you think God seems to be moving rather slowly, remember this promise to Abraham and the fact that Abraham had to wait 25 years But you also remember that God did exactly what God had promised. Well, that's not the end of the story. God has another test for Abraham. When Abraham's son Isaac is a young teen, God comes again to Abraham and He says, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to go out to a place I'm going to tell you and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. Now, can you imagine But Abraham, again, in incredible obedience, saddles up the donkey, 
loads the wood on the donkey and heads off in the direction as God leads him. And when they get to the place where God had designated, he stops and he builds an altar. And I don't know how he got his young son up on that altar, but he did. And he raises a knife to kill his son and God stops him. He intervenes. He provides a ram for a sacrifice. And can you imagine? Can you imagine the relief Abraham must have felt. And then, through an angel, God speaks to Abraham. And these words that I want to read from Genesis chapter 22 are very important. They're huge to understanding what we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 6. God says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Now, that whole idea of swearing by myself, we're going to come back to that in Hebrews 6. I swear to you, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Now, with that story in your mind, with that as a background, listen to what we read in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by, He swore by Himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, I would say, wouldn't you? 25 years of waiting patiently. Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Now the meaning of that verse is lost on us. (laughs) Because we, we don't swear in that way today. People swear today, but not in this way. In this, in this tradition, to swear by something that was greater than you or to swear by someone who was greater than you was a promise that was not to be broken. In fact, if you were to swear by your family, for instance, I swear this will happen or I swear this will do this by my family, if you didn't come through and fulfill your promise, they might take your family. They would have a right to kill your family because you broke your oath. And the writer of Hebrews is here is indicating that God wants them to understand so clearly that I am going to fulfill the promise that I am making. That He swore by something greater, but there wasn't much greater for Him to swear by, was there? Well, I'll swear by the sky. No, I made that. I'll swear by this person. No, I created them. And so God only has Himself to swear by. Verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. And His purpose that He's talking about here, His purpose is what He's going to do through Jesus Christ and our salvation. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. You know what that hope is? It's the salvation that was coming or that had come through Jesus Christ. And God wanted us to know we could count on it. We could find hope in it. We could be greatly encouraged by it. Verse 19. We have this hope, this salvation in Jesus, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He became a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now we'll talk about the high priest issue next week. 
But for today, I want to focus in on two images that are created right there that come into our lives as a result of the salvation of Jesus Christ, as the result of the coming of Jesus. These two, these two images are true for our lives. First, that hope, that salvation is an anchor. It's an anchor. It's the only time in the Bible that you will hear, see Jesus described as an anchor, but it obviously became very important to the early Christians. Today, if you were to, to go to Rome and begin to tour through the catacombs of Rome, the tunnels that are under the ancient city, you would find there buried a lot of the early Christians in tombs. And in these, or on the outside of these tombs, you, you would find carvings in stone oftentimes. There were three predominant carvings that you would find on these tombs of the early Christians. Number one, you might find a dove. Now, a dove was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And to these early Christians, as it should be to us, the Holy Spirit was so incredibly valuable. I don't think there's a dove on my example here, by the way, if you're trying to figure out which one of those it is. Okay. That was one predominant. The second one was the fish or the ichthys which to them was a symbol of the words of Jesus Christ. Some of these early Christians had heard Jesus speak those words themselves, and they highly valued the words of Jesus. The third symbol that was very predominant was that of an anchor. Because for these people who had lived through very, very difficult days, very insecure times, Jesus had become their anchor. He had become the thing in their lives that was firm and secure. You know what, the anchor, it really is a great symbol, isn't it? It's very fitting for our lives. I mean, think about life. How often do you feel like in life, things are just sort of sailing along very smoothly, right? And out of nowhere, with no warning, with, with comes the storm. And, and you had no idea that it was coming. In fact, for all of us today, it could be the next phone call. It could be the next trip to the mailbox. It could be the next text message. It could be the next knock on our door. And suddenly we find ourselves in the midst of one of life's storms. And in those moments, we need an anchor, don't we? We need something. We need someone that is firm and secure and that holds us safely. You know, when you have an anchor in a boat, I'm told that if you use it correctly, and I think during the time that I owned a boat, I'm not sure that I ever knew how to really use it correctly. But I understand that if you have an anchor and you use it correctly, it holds your boat safely in place. Now, when you drop the anchor, you know what? It doesn't take your boat out of the water, does it? And it doesn't keep the storm from coming along. But when the storm comes, if the anchor has been dropped correctly, it holds you safely in place. And Jesus is our anchor. That means it doesn't mean He will take us out of the water. It doesn't mean that the storm won't come along. It will. I guarantee it. What it does mean when we have Jesus as our anchor is that He holds us safely in place so that we can weather the storm. In verse 18, the writer says this in the last part of that verse. He says that we who have fled 
to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. That word fled literally means to become a refugee. To become a refugee because there is something that you cannot handle in life. Now, we understand that term today even, right? We see refugees all the time in the news. In fact, if you've been watching the news lately, a lot of refugees who are fleeing their countries because they cannot handle what the government is doing, and so they have become a refugee. The writer of Hebrews says that sometimes we become refugees because we can't handle what's going in life, but we become refugees who find refuge in Jesus, who is our anchor. And maybe you've been there in life. Maybe you've been there where you have felt like you were a refugee fleeing because you couldn't handle what had come along in life. But I want to remind you, the next time you find yourself there, you have a refuge. It's in Jesus, who is our anchor that holds us safely in place. In fact, someone said this, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, one needs to feel the stress of the storm. It's true, isn't it? To realize the worth of the anchor, one needs to feel the stress of the storm. This uh, series, Awake, that we uh, started uh, advertising today that's coming at Easter, um, we're going to talk a lot during this series about some of the things that in life cause us to feel like refugees, things that we struggle to handle, things that we struggle to overcome. And during this series, we're going to share some stories of Crosspoint people that are really powerful stories. And you will discover as you hear their stories that in the midst of their storms, they found an anchor. And that anchor was Jesus. And He didn't take away the storm, but He held them safely in place. There's a a river, um, and this morning I knew the name of it, and I think it's the Wedland River, but if that's the wrong thing, just don't even tell me afterwards, okay? Just pretend that I knew the right thing. It's the river that dumps into the Niagara River that leads to Niagara Falls. And, uh, you know, when you get to Niagara Falls, there's that, 160-some foot drop, and the water above the falls, very turbulent. But if you go on back up the Niagara River a little ways and into this other river, it, it is it's very smooth, very peaceful, great for boating. And I understand that if you make your way down the name of the river that I can't remember, towards the Niagara, that as you get closer to the turbulent waters, there is a pedestrian walkway that crosses over the river. And on that pedestrian walkway, there is a sign that simply says, Do you have an anchor? Not a bad question if you might be headed into turbulent waters. I also understand that if you go just a little bit farther, there is a second sign that says, do you know how to use it? Which for me, I would have had to say, I'm not really sure I do. Good questions, aren't they? Do you have an anchor? Because I guarantee there will be some turbulent waters ahead in life. I don't know when they'll come, but I know they will. And when they come, you need an anchor. And the anchor is Jesus. And the second question, do you know how to use it? Or maybe the better question for us is, will you use it? When the turbulent waters come, when the storm comes, will you trust in Jesus who wants to be our anchor that is firm and secure? There's a second image that I think is very significant here in Hebrews chapter 6. The second thing is that Jesus' salvation, this hope that He talks about, offers us access to God. He speaks there about, the, about going into the sanctuary. Listen again to the last part of verse 19. It says that it enters this hope, this salvation, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain 
where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Now, what's that talking about? What's, what's this curtain thing? It's a reference to the Old Testament again. It's a reference to the, the originally was the tabernacle. It was their portable place of worship. You see, even the people in the Old Testament did portable church. For years, they did portable church. And uh, then when they moved into their permanent facility, years after being portable, and God had grown them to the size they needed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there was this curtain that was hung in both the tabernacle and the temple. A curtain that was about 60 feet wide, about 30 feet high, and it was four inches thick. Now, picture these curtains that hang on the stage here. But four inches in thickness. The purpose of this curtain was to separate the rest of the temple or the tabernacle from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the place where the glory of God dwelt. It was the, represented the presence of God. And the curtain represented the idea that there was a separation in the Old Testament between the people and God because of their sin and God's incredible holiness and their sin denied them access into the presence of God. And so there was this curtain, this huge curtain that stood between them and God. Once a year, though, the, the high priest and only the high priest would go through this vigorous process of cleansing himself. And then on behalf of the people, he would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of the people for that year. And with great fear, literally, the high priest would enter and make that sacrifice. But it had to be repeated every year because the sin of the people kept continuing. That is, until Jesus went to the cross and died to pay for the sins of all mankind. And at that moment that Jesus died on the cross, listen to what Matthew 27 says that it happened. Then Jesus shouted out again and released His Spirit. He died. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No man could do that. Four inches thick. It wasn't just ripped by some men. This curtain was ripped open by God. Because at the death of Jesus Christ, we were granted access into the presence of God. That's what happened. And you and I today now have the ability to talk to God, to enter His presence, to be connected to Him. And that happened because of Jesus' death on the cross. We think we live in a culture, don't we, where there is total access to people all the time? I mean, I thought that when I bought certain members of my family's cell phones, it meant, and I was terribly wrong evidently, but I thought that it meant that I would always be able to reach them. It doesn't seem to work that way. Or maybe you call somebody and, uh, you, you know, the, it rings a couple of times their cell phone and then suddenly you go to voicemail and you know what happened, right? They screened your call. Yeah. They sent you to voicemail. They didn't want you to have access to them at that moment. You know what? It doesn't work that way with God. We always have access to Him. Two o'clock in the morning, He's available. Thursday night, He's available. Sunday morning, He's available. Christmas Day, He's available. He doesn't stop to eat dinner. No days off. He is always available to us. 24 hours a day. No voicemail. No, I'll return your call within 24 hours. 
God is available to us right now. Always. No matter what's going on in our life. No matter how difficult things may get. He is always available to us. And that happened because of Jesus. And the curtain being torn in two. And you and I being granted access right into the presence of God. Now listen, where we've come to this far in Hebrews is kind of a to-be-continued moment. Next week we're going to look at some other things in Hebrews. And really what we have said so far, including today, just begin to sort of lay the groundwork and set the framework for what we'll talk about next week. Because I think what we talk about next week, when I read the book of Hebrews, it's the most exciting part when I understand what Jesus has done on my behalf. So we'll take that up next week. I hope you'll be here. Bring somebody with you. It's the best part of the story of Jesus. God, thank You for Jesus Christ. God, thank You for His sacrifice on the cross. I thank You that today, God, He is an anchor in my life. And I pray for every person in this room today, God, that they would make Jesus the anchor of their life because their turbulent waters are coming. They are. And God, I thank You that there is not a moment of the day that I don't have access to You and to Your power and Your promises and Your love. Thank You, God, for ripping open the curtain and giving me and all of us access to You. Be our strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.